Spoke Media. Hello, Ghost Family. Welcome to our second bonus episode of the summer. I hope that you are listening to this episode at the beach or on a boat or dream of all dreams, enjoying it with a frozen beverage while seated on a lanai, which, as alert listeners to the Chinese food incident are already aware, are my new favorite thing. Things are busy as usual around here at Family Ghosts HQ. As I record this, we've got producers fanned out across the country, hard at work on our new batch of stories for season three, which, as a reminder, is coming to your headphones this holiday season. I also want to thank all of you who came out for our live shows in New York and Washington, D.C. last week, and to let you know that we're planning another run of live shows this fall as we gear up for the release of Season 3. If you'd like Family Ghosts to visit your city or town, please drop me a line at familyghostspodcast at gmail.com. I, of course, can't promise that we'll be able to make it work, but we're just starting our planning as we speak, and I'd love to chat if you think it would be a good match. Also, We've still got time to read a few more story pitches, and we're particularly interested in holiday-themed family ghost stories. If you've got something that might be a good fit, send us a note at that same email address, familyghostspodcast at gmail.com. Now, speaking of live shows, on this week's bonus episode, the one you are listening to right now, I am excited to share two fantastic stories with you that were recorded at our very first Family Ghosts live show here in Brooklyn last fall. They are both great examples of the kinds of stories that we feature at those events. Since we can't exactly have someone investigate a mystery from their family's past live on stage, the storytellers at our live shows are a little bit more free to explore the broad themes of familial legacy and lore, and what effect they've had on their lives. And this week, we're featuring stories from two fantastic comedians, both of whom I've admired for a very long time, plus a song so beautiful it made a friend of mine punch me in the arm and say, Sam, you can't do that. Which isn't exactly fair, because I technically didn't do anything. The band did. Anyway, that's all coming up right after this short break. We know there's a lot going on in the news. China is still struggling to contain the coronavirus. It has been a turbulent year in politics around the world. Smoke darkens the skies above Aleppo's countryside. This fire is burning out of control, and it's just 25 miles from Canberra, Australia's But here's the thing. There are also a lot of compassionate people doing amazing things for others every day. How do you pay someone back who saved your life? I am so incredibly grateful that I need to pay it back to her, but also pay it forward to others. Hear those stories on Kind World, a podcast about how acts of kindness can transform lives. That's Kind World. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Spoke Media. Welcome back to the show. This week, we're featuring stories from our first-ever Family Ghosts live show in Brooklyn last fall. And first up, it's a story from Gianmarco Ceresi, who performs stand-up all over New York City and was recently featured on the PBS storytelling series Stories from the Stage. Here he is on our show, live at the Bell House, last September. Hello. So, um, my parents got divorced when I was seven. 
days old. So like most kids, my first word was mama, but my next five were told me to tell you. It was because my dad was adulterous. He prefers the term Italian. Um, and and he, he was Italian on his father's side, uh, my grandfather, uh, Carl Dexter Serezi. And, and I never met my dad's dad, which is a tradition I hope to continue with my son. Um, now, the only thing I, I, I really knew about this man, uh, my mom once accidentally let slip that my dad's dad had sued him once. So what happened, I guess, I, my, uh, my grandfather gave my dad money. My dad said it was a gift. My grandfather said it was a loan, which is why I never opened Christmas presents without my attorney. <laughs> he died uh, about two years before I was born, and there, there was never any pictures of him around the house, but, but deep in the basement, like kind of behind the container of Christmas ornaments, were these very cool-looking three-dimensional paintings. They were silver with triangles and circles that, that I guess my grandfather had made. He was an artist. Um, he, was, he was a pianist. He, he, was like, he was a man who knew how to use his hands. Um, he actually built the home that my father was raised in because he had a little construction company while he was moonlighting as a journalist. He, he was the kind of guy, you had to sit down before asking him, what do you do for a living? <laughs> Which is why he actually made most of his money from residuals because strangely enough, he wrote the lyrics to a very popular Rosemary Clooney song called If I Had a Penny. Um, yeah, it's the, the first line of it is, uh, if I had a penny every time I cried for you, I'd be a millionaire whose every dream falls through. Which is especially poignant because he left my grandmother penniless when he walked out on them after a six-year affair. And now, I, I didn't know about this part until I was much older. It's very hard to keep track of your family tree when it keeps splitting. It starts to look like a pile of firewood. It wasn't until actually my grandma passed away that my aunts and uncles and dad had pretty much a bonfire of my grandfather's memory. They told me that my grandfather used to beat his children. He, he was a man who knew how to use his hands. He once taught my uncle to box, and, and when my uncle, when, when he put his thumb too high on his forefinger, he grabbed his hand and bit his thumb as hard as he could, leaving a scar. I found out one of the reasons If I Had a Penny became such a popular song is because he forced his kids to write postcards to every radio station in America, requesting them to play it over and over and over again. <laughs> and my dad, who rarely talked about his father, told me that, that he would bring my dad when he would visit his mistress and leave my dad waiting in the car until he was finished. And I wish that my dad had told me this sooner, because it, it helped me find forgiveness for my father. I mean, compared to my grandfather, my dad was the world's number one dad. Like, sure, he had once slept with my kindergarten teacher, but he didn't walk out on me. <laughs> but for all the improvements that my dad made on his upbringing, the one thing that was almost identical was, was my dad's marriage to my mom. I mean, like my grandfather, my dad, cheated on my mom. There were battles over alimony payments. And when all the dust was settled, they never spoke again. So I thought growing up, should I ever fall in love with someone? If I, if I really met someone that I wanted to keep into my life till death do I part, the last thing I should do is marry them. <laughs> 
So when I fell in love in college, I already was coming up with an exit strategy. It, it was this girl, for now we'll just call her Laura. She was an actor. And she was like, she, she looked like Audrey Hepburn, but had the mind of an Annie Hall. She had these big nerdy glasses that, like, that, that magnified her slight hazel eyes that would nearly disappear every time she smiled. And she smiled every time I walked in a room. And all I wanted, all I wanted was to make sure that those eyes never looked at me the way that my mom looks at my dad. So when we graduated, I broke up with her. And she, she moved to LA and instead of dealing with my feelings, I backpacked around Europe for three months. Just me, a copy of Infinite Jest, and 93 condoms. And, and I went everywhere. I started in Italy, then I went, to, I went to Germany, I went to Amsterdam, I went to Paris, I went to Dublin. The last stop was Interlaken, Switzerland. And, and I felt the way I do at the end of every trip. Like, I just felt like I'd wasted the whole thing. Like, I was only halfway through the Infinite Jest preface. I had only used two of those condoms and it was on my feet. One of the hostels had the shower that was just, it was horrifying. I lost my sandals in Amsterdam a little. And the whole trip, the whole time, all I could think about was Laura. I thought, did I make a mistake? Should I call her, apologize, ask her to marry me? But that's when I saw a brochure for skydiving. And I thought, oh, I'll just do this instead. Because, I don't know if you know this, but Interlaken is the number one place for skydiving, according to that brochure. And so I signed up to go uh, tandem jumping the next day. Tandem jumping is where you're strapped to someone who's brave on your behalf. And I, I, even, I even paid extra to have a second person jump out and film me. So, you know, in case something goes wrong, at least I can finally go viral. And, and I was nervous. I was nervous, but I was holding it together until uh, later that night, this, this couple from Japan, they were on their honeymoon. They had gone skydiving earlier that day and um, they, they, they played, they got it filmed too. They played it in the, the common area TV. And if you've ever seen a skydiving video, they're all the same. It's all underscored by like Metallica if it were done by Kids Bop. <laughs> and and when, when the person jumps, there's always the same three phases every time. One is just, they're terrified because they just jumped out of a fucking plane. But then that's quickly replaced by this like feeling of joy that they're in the sky and they're moving through clouds and a pride that they had the chutzpah to, you know, do this, your chutzpah, and they, <laughs> that they had the courage to do this. And then third, no matter who it is, no matter who it is, it's so dumb. They always look right at the camera and they're just like, I'm a bird. And it's, you know, you're not flying, you're falling, okay? And I'm, and I'm watching them watch themselves on the TV, seeing what I'm gonna do in about 12 hours. And I ran to the bathroom and threw up because I can't skydive. I, I've never been bungee jumping. I've never been, I haven't even been rock climbing. This is like going scuba diving. You never took a bath. <laughs> so instead of going to sleep that night, I decide to Skype with Laura, which I know smart. And I, 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 I basically beg her to give me permission to not jump. And this is the first she's heard about any of this. So she's just like, oh, okay, don't jump. 
which made me furious. I was like, could you push me, please? Could you help me be a better, braver man? And she was like, oh, okay, okay, you should jump, which made me furious. I was like, are you crazy? If I die, this is on you. So we go back and forth, jump, don't jump, jump, don't jump, until I'm finally weeping. And I say to her, okay, I'll jump. But I just want you to know, if anything happens to me, you will be the last thing I am thinking about. And then I have to go, because the van's there to pick me up. We've been Skyping for seven hours at this point. <laughs> so I, I say my possible last goodbye to her. I even kiss the camera, it was gross. And I get into the van, there's three other guys going skydiving that day, and they're actually, they're in the army, they just got back from Afghanistan, and they are more scared than me. And I was like, guys, you can't be scared, you're just in Afghanistan. They're like, yeah, that was crazy, but this is insane. <laughs> and the driver looks at you know, the back row, these four men holding hands, just shaking with each other. He's like, guys, guys, relax. You're more likely to die on this car trip right now than you are skydiving, which only made me want to get out of the van even more. So we get to the airfield, and they dress us in the traditional neon orange jumpsuit. I think it's in case the parachute don't, doesn't go off, it helps them find the body in the woods. And we, we get onto the plane. It's a tiny plane. I mean, it could fit on half this stage. It looked like it was made by Hot Wheels. And so we're going up, we're going up 10,000 meters in the sky. And, and I try to distract myself by getting to know my tandem jumper. His name is Eben, he's Australian. He looks like he was born wearing Oakleys. And I, I'm just talking to him, getting to know him. I was like, hey man, uh, you married? He was like, nope. I said, oh, do you have a girlfriend, a boyfriend? Nah. Any pets? Nah. If I disappeared, I don't think anyone would notice. Time to jump, boom, he kicks open the door. And now I'm sliding to the door, I'm straddled by possibly a suicidal skydiver. And my legs are like dangling over the front of the plane. And I'm thinking like, I can't do it. I'm gonna tell him we're gonna land the plane. I don't need a refund, it's fine. When all of a sudden I think something in my brain snapped because I heard a voice in my head that said, you can't die, John Marco. You're the main character. Three, two, one, we jump. And guys, let me tell you, you gotta go skydiving. It was amazing. I was joy. It, it was raining, but we were above the clouds, so I was raining onto the rain. And then I did this thing. It was so cool. It was so cool. So the cameraman's across from me. It was so funny. I looked right at the camera, and I was just like, I'm a bird. It was, you had to be there. And... And I, you only free fall for like 30 seconds and, and you know, even pull the parachute, thank God. And we're, we're float, we float down for like 10 minutes and, and I can see the Swiss Alps, it's beautiful. And the first time in so long that I, you know, I haven't had my fucking cell phone to distract me. It's just me alone with my thoughts and Eben. And I finally realized, like, what the fuck am I doing? I obviously, obviously want to be with Laura. And getting married has nothing to do with being like my dad or his dad. If I want to really be different than them, then maybe I should commit to someone that I love. So the moment we land, I threw up everywhere. It had been a very long, stressful day. But after that, I get on the phone and I call Laura. 
but she doesn't pick up. So, you know, I call her again, doesn't pick up. And I, I find out later that the reason that Laura didn't pick up the phone is because she was actually at a friend's birthday party where she was meeting for the first time her now husband, the now father of her two children. Because life doesn't wait until you're ready to jump. Thank you. Coming up, storyteller Gastor Almonte has a run-in with some birds of his own. We'll be right back. Before we move on, I want to take a moment to tell you about another podcast you might enjoy. It's called Killer Knowledge from Parcast. If you're a fan of true crime and you want to put your skills to the test and be crowned an undisputed expert, then you should definitely check out Parcast's new trivia podcast, Killer Knowledge. It's all the mystery and suspense you've come to expect from Parcast, now in a fast-paced, interactive format. Every Tuesday, Two competitors go head-to-head to correctly answer multiple-choice true crime questions. Whoever gains the most points after 20 questions wins. Each episode dives deep into a different, shocking topic from history, such as the Manson family, Jimmy Hoffa, and even the Jonestown Massacre. With each question and answer comes additional content surrounding the event, enlightening even the most knowledgeable true crime lover. You can play by yourself, challenge your friends, and prove your prowess by sharing your results with Parcast on social media. You never know, you might even find yourself in the hot seat one day. Follow Killer Knowledge free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out more Parcast shows on Spotify by searching for Parcast in the Spotify search bar or go to spotify.com slash Parcast. Welcome back to this week's bonus episode. For this installment of our bonus episode series, we're playing you stories from our Family Ghosts live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn last fall. And next up, a story from Gastor Almonte, another excellent stand-up based here in New York. He's been featured on Comedy Central and just recently put out a truly hilarious stand-up album called Immigrant Made. Here he is performing on our show. I'm from East New York, Brooklyn. Y'all been there before, for real? No doubt. Yeah, I got an eight-year-old son, and uh, the neighborhood's changing a little bit, you know? We, uh, we got white people moving to my neighborhood, like before Starbucks. It's crazy. And, you know, I love y'all. Y'all are cool, but... It's just... I'm having trouble explaining some of the things y'all do to my son. You know, he came home from class and he was like, yo, dad, you know, snack time at school, the kids was eating beef jerky. What's beef jerky? (laughs) And I challenge you to make that make sense to an eight-year-old Dominican kid. I was like, well, son, you know how, you know, we eat chicken, you know, eggs and fish most of the time. Sometimes I splurge and we have steak. And it's juicy and tender. It tastes great. He's like, yeah, dad, it does. I was like, so white people like to take that. 
and everything you like about it, they take it out. <laughs> and instead of having it for dinner like once a week, they cut it up into little pieces and just tolerate it for a month. And he was like, Dad, when the break, you know, I told my friends we're going to Florida, and they were telling me they're going skiing. What's skiing, Dad? <laughs> See, some of y'all are ahead of me on this. I was like, well, son, you know how it's real cold outside, so we try to keep you in to protect you? <laughs> White people like to look for the most dangerous days in Mother Nature's schedule <laughs> to go outside. You know how it's really difficult to walk outside and the streets are flat? <laughs> they like to go to the highest point and add sticks to their shoes for some reason. And you know how you get real slippery and sometimes you fall down and you try to avoid that? Well, they try to do it on purpose, <laughs> gracefully. And it's all marketing. If you would just change like little things, like if you would be like, hey, Gastor, you want to play a sport where you get to wear Timberland boots and North Face jackets all the time? That's the blackest shit I heard. Yes, I'm interested. <laughs> you know, sounds great. But I appreciate that he still comes to me for these questions. As you can see, I'm not that great at answering them. <laughs> but he still trusts my logic. I'm still a source of knowledge for my son. That's beautiful to me. Because that, that's, not, that's not something that's going to last forever. You know, I actually saw my grandfather lose that. You know, lose being the authority figure. I remember when I was seven years old, he moved here from the Dominican Republic. And I was excited. Because I was seven years old, you know, I wanted to do a whole bunch of stupid shit. And here was this old man that also wanted to do stupid shit. <laughs> like all grandfathers should, right? You know, like I'd be like, yo, yo, grandpa, can we play tag on Atlantic Avenue? It's like, of course. <laughs> can we have peanut chews for dinner today? Why not, Gaston? How many firecrackers can I light at once before we should run away? Let's find out. The world is your oyster, Gaston. He also had these cool sayings. He'd be like, in a battle between a goat and a cow, the winner is the chef. I still don't know when to use that adage. <laughs> but it seemed important to him, so I hold it there. You know. But I was excited he was here in town, you know, but your grandfather and your grandmother, those are the first people you see that are in charge and then they stop being in charge. Everyone else, your parents, your teachers, cops, you see them in charge, they're in charge the whole time you're a kid. 
you know, and it was it was weird to me to see this guy, you know, do stuff and get in trouble for it with his kids. You know, like my cousin Gio, he was 10 years old. He wanted to roll a blade down the stairs of the building. He ain't make it. So my uncle, he runs up to my grandfather. He's like, Luciano, you, you can't let the kids roll the blade down the stairs. They're going to get hurt. He broke his arm. And my grandfather was like, well, we know that now. <laughs> he believed in us, you know? <laughs> it was touching to me, you know? So... I always enjoyed, on Sundays, we'd go to my grandmother's house because now my grandfather was there too. So, you know, my aunts and my mom would do their hair. My dad and my uncles would sit on the stoop and talk smack. And my grandfather would hang out in the front of the yard and watch me and my cousins, you know, do recklessness on the block. It was great. Three weeks into this routine, you know, there's my uncles and my dad and some of the neighbors on the, on the, on the house, and they complaining about the break-ins. You know, we had three break-ins on my uncle's block. Some people had some stuff stolen. A motorcycle was taken. They riffing and complaining. My grandfather's starting to get frustrated with his kids. Finally, he turns around, and he looks at them dead in the face. He's like, you know what y'all need to do? Y'all need to buy some chickens. You see how quiet you guys are right now? <laughs> you see the confusion you feel? <laughs> you are not alone in that feeling. <laughs> they looked at him stunned. They're like, you know, what are you talking about, chickens? And my grandfather started having a conversation like this was a logical thing to talk about. He's like, why should we get chickens? And my grandfather was like, oh, because chickens don't lie. <laughs> chickens tell the truth. And then he turned around like, yeah, I made my point. <laughs> I've tried my whole life to mimic the confidence that man showed that day. <laughs> To look at a group of 30 to 40 year old homeowners, professionals, hard workers, and tell them, yo, you know what the solution is to your crime wave problem? Poultry. So, you know, they dismiss my grandfather, like, yeah, whatever, you know, old man's bugging out, and they keep riffing about the situation. My grandfather keeps looking at his play, but finally he gets heated. He calls us all and he's like, kids, I need y'all to play inside the yard. I gotta go do something. He walks off, comes back half hour later with a cage with four chickens. <laughs> now I know that's not that surprising now. Brooklyn has changed a lot. <laughs> I'm sure somewhere near here there's like a hand to farm, free range artisanal chicken place. But this is 1990s East New York, Brooklyn. One block off of the J train on Fulton. My uncle's been here, three, my grandfather's been here three weeks. He doesn't speak a lick of English. Where the fuck do you go?
get four chickens. Like, if you sent me out to get chickens now, like, I'm going to come back running just because I'm assuming I committed a crime. He comes in proud. He looks at his kids. He's like, I got the chickens. Opens up the cage, lets them loose in the backyard. And they start laughing, but they let it rock. He decides to keep doing this. Next three weeks, he gets three, four more chickens at a time. Month in, we got 15 chickens in the backyard. Now, I'm from Brooklyn, as I said. I don't know much about farming. I'm assuming most of y'all don't either. I'm going to let y'all learn something today. I know one thing about chickens now. Chickens are incredibly good at doing one particular thing. They're really good, pardon me, they're really good at making more chickens. <laughs> Six months in, we had like 150 chickens. <laughs> like if you got an adjacent house to my grandfather's house, you have chickens. Front yard chickens, backyard chickens, Atlantic Avenue chickens. Like y'all go to Nets games on Atlantic Avenue two miles away, there was chickens. People started complaining there's property damage. You think you get mad when the pigeon shits on your car? Imagine when a chicken does it. Cause chickens don't fly, that means he got on your car. just to shit on your car. <laughs> you know, after six months, these people kept, you know, they couldn't hold it no more. They're like, yo, we gotta have a meeting. So the whole block gathers in my grandfather's living room. They talk to my dad, they talk to my uncles. They're like, yo, you gotta talk to him. My dad starts it off. He's like, listen, Luciano, we're really happy to have you home. I know you miss being back in DR, I get that. So we let you have a couple chickens. But this chicken situation is getting out of control right now. <laughs> we got to be at 300 chickens at this point, sir. My grandfather looks at them stunned. He's like, I don't want any chickens. You guys were complaining about robberies. I brought the chickens into the house. Nobody on the block's been robbed since. You're welcome. And then he left the room. <laughs> so again, they just let it rock. Year in, you know, we letting these chickens grow. Everybody's okay with it. Security's top notch now. <laughs> Year later, we gotta be at like a thousand chickens at this point. <laughs> Block is flooded with chickens. <laughs> Have you ever had a drug dealer ring your bell to complain about the chickens? <laughs> My father lived that moment. <laughs> Yo, listen, sir, we respect you. We respect your father-in-law. But the chickens are making it real hard to keep our business low-key. <laughs> Admittedly, a fair critique, you know.
but it was helping, so they kept letting it go. Finally, a few weeks pass, and on a Saturday morning, I wake up in my house and I hear my parents kind of like rumbling, getting ready. It's early, it's like five in the morning. And I sense like that there's a lot of panic and energy. And I walk out on it, what's happening? And I'm like, oh, there was a break in at grandpa's house. We're gonna go over there and make sure everything's okay. And I show up and I see cops around the block. I see the neighbors outside looking. And I see a guy getting arrested and put into a car. And I witness what might be my favorite conversation ever. <laughs> police officer and my dad talked. And the police officer said this. He's like, so you guys brought the chickens here on purpose. <laughs> 1,500 chickens. And my dad answered the way that my grandfather had taught him with logic that only makes sense to him. He's like, no, sir, don't be ridiculous. We only bought in three to four chickens at a time. So the cop is like, how'd you get this many chickens then? And he's like, well, I don't know if you know anything about chickens, but they're incredibly good at making more chickens. And then he's like, so walk me through this. How did the chickens help? He's like, well, again, sir, the guy was trying to break into our backyard. He took some stuff. He dropped the runaway. He tripped on the chickens. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever woken up a chicken before. It makes a loud noise. <laughs> that gave us time to run outside and call you, and now we here. <laughs> the cop is like, he's like 6'2", 200 pounds. He tripped on one chicken? Chickens are real short. <laughs> and my dad's like, you right, sir. You'd think it'd be hard to trip on one chicken. But we had like 1,500 chickens. <laughs> we got a system going here. <laughs> Finally, I gotta see what's going on. I go inside, because I don't see my grandfather. This is his moment. I'm like, yo, grandpa. And I see him sitting in the living room on his throne. And I'm like, grandpa. How'd you know this chicken thing was gonna work? And he's like, you know, nobody asked me. You know, when I was 25 years old, I lived in Bonal, this little farming town in the Dominican Republic. I was a sheriff. And the town only had one rich person that lived there. He paid most of the taxes that covered my job. He had a break-in and he told me that I had to stay in his house if I couldn't solve it until I caught the criminal. I lived three miles away walking. I wasn't going to do that. I'd be away from the kids and my wife. So I just got a whole bunch of chickens. <laughs> I put them in the hallway. And when the guy tried to break in again, his guards caught him. I figured it worked there. And everybody know about chickens in DR. <laughs> <laughs> None of y'all know about chickens here. I was like, yeah, that's incredible, Grandpa. He's like, I know, I told you, Gastor. Chickens don't lie. <laughs> Chickens tell the truth. 
I got my eight-year-old son now, as I told y'all a few weeks ago. My two-year-old nephew, Quinn's coming over. And normally, my, my son ignores him. You know, he's a little too young to play with him. But he's offering him a snack. He's trying to keep him calm. And he's like, Quinn, what do you want? You want crackers? You want chips? Oh, I got this new thing called beef jerky. <laughs> my dad told me all about it. And I realized then, my grandfather's goal, he didn't care about losing authority. He just wanted to live forever. And he lives forever through us. Thank you. Coming up, one more excerpt from Family Ghosts Live at the Bell House last fall. That song that got me punched. We'll be right back. Spoke Media. Welcome back to the show. To close things out this week, I'm genuinely honored to share a song by Jocelyn McKenzie, whose name I'm willing to bet some of you recognize from her time as a member of the band Pearl and the Beard. These days, among her many musical adventures, she plays around Brooklyn with a band called the Peggies, and we were fortunate enough to have the Peggies join us last September for our live show at the Bell House. I first heard Jocelyn perform this song that she's going to sing at a totally wild variety show that featured music by the Peggies, as well as palm readings, a free jazz ensemble improvising based on the contents of fortune cookies, a confession booth, on-demand tattoos. It was all happening in the back room of this bar called Otto's Shrunken Head. It was a pretty noisy environment, as you might imagine. But then, out of nowhere, the Peggies took the stage, and Jocelyn stepped forward with her ukulele and started playing this song. And suddenly, everyone in the room went dead silent. The song is called Sick and Suffering, and it's one of those songs that makes time stop. Jocelyn and the Peggies performed it to open our show at the Bell House, but I think it makes for a pretty fitting closer as well. I hope you agree. I'm gonna die. You're going to die. How will you spend your
Family Ghosts is hosted and produced by me, Sam Dingman. Check out this week's show notes in your podcast app to find out more about Gianmarco, Gastor, Jocelyn, and the Peggies, the rest of whom, by the way, also have non-Peggy names, specifically Danny Draxler, Charlotte Morose, Jason Vance, and Anthony Napolitano. This episode was mixed by Will Short, and Family Ghosts is a proud creative partner of Spoke Media. Find more great podcasts at spokemedia.io. For even more bonus episodes of our show, please consider becoming a member of our Patreon community, The Kindred Spirits, where in addition to ad-free versions of all of our past and future episodes, you'll also get early access to Season 3, as well as even more bonus episodes that won't be available anywhere else. Next week, Kindred Spirits will hear my conversation with Jeffrey Nils Gardner, co-creator of the fantastic Unwell podcast. Sign up today to hear that conversation. Visit patreon.com slash familyghosts, and we are truly grateful for your support of our work. We'll be back next week with another bonus episode. And until then, thank you for listening to Family Ghosts, where every house is haunted. You're listening to WALT. Homemade Radio. Hey, y'all. I'm Jean-Yel Kastner, and I've got a new podcast called Untitled Dad Project. Yes, that's the title. Because here's the deal. I never knew the story of why my dad wasn't in my life. Then I decided to reach out to him only to have him die on my birthday before I could send him anything. But that's not what Untitled Dad Project is about. This podcast is about grieving. It's about creating. It's about reckoning with your dad character. It's about finally figuring out your own story, even if you have to write it yourself. Untitled Dad Project. We'll figure out a title once we figure out my story. Chapters drop every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at Untitled Dad Project and subscribe now. Ghost family, thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of what we do. Today, I need to ask for your help. This is something that will only take five minutes of your time. Please go to spokemedia.io slash survey and tell us a little bit about yourself. It really helps us find advertisers, which helps us keep this show in your podcast feed. That's spokemedia.io slash survey. And thank you.